1: Welcome to the wheelhouse.
2: You can see the confidence build day by day, and there's an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from.
1: Starring Jerry Depoto And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill, Jr.
0: He seems along those lines where he wants, to be great and does everything possible to go get it.
1: It's time for The Wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome once again. We've got the Wheelhouse Podcast. You can catch the full version of our conversation wherever you find your podcast. I'm Mariners broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith, joined as always by fellow broadcaster Gary Hill. G-Man, how you doing? I'm doing fine. It's
0: great to see you. Oh, it's
1: going to be with you as well. And uh, the uh, star of the show, Jerry Depoto, Mariners general manager. Jerry, it's been a little while since we've seen each other. How are you doing?
2: I- I'm doing much better after hearing the excitement in Gary's voice to get this <laughs> thing
1: going. Gary is always excited when he says hi to me. It's amazing. Not so much when he says hi to other people, but especially
0: me. Is that fair, Gary? Only on camera (laughs) yeah when uh, no one's around then no
1: yeah it's a much more depressing tone uh Things have been going very, very well recently uh, for the Mariners, Jerry. It's hard to kind of know exactly where to start the line for the Mariners recently. The recent homestand was phenomenal for the ball club. Uh, Really, the last month or so has been uh, certainly the best baseball played this season for the Mariners. And I'm curious, kind of your thoughts as to your biggest takeaways, what you've seen, what you've liked, what stood out to you the most.
2: I think it's not only has it been our best, uh, I guess, or most consistent play in 2021, you could argue that this is the best run we've had dating back to maybe 2018. Uh, the, the first two, three weeks of the 19 season, we got unbelievable results with less than believable underlying data to support that. But this, that's different, you know, this time around. We played very well in September of 2020. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing right now is we're seeing young players contribute in major ways Uh, was especially notable on the the just-finished nine-game homestand. Guys like Shed Long, guys like Jake Fraley, who continues to produce. The the huge forward steps that we're seeing from J.P. Crawford. Uh, So many, you know, Jake Bowers, who fits right in the mix with with our group and and that has been a really positive experience for us. Ty France, Uh, we're being driven by young players who we think are part of what we're doing moving forward rather than, than players who were maybe you know more transitional for us as we were continuing to rebuild this roster so that's it's a really exciting thing that it's happening with the, the this group of players
1: you know, we, we talked about JP on the last wheelhouse and It would have been perfectly fair for us to think that when we were talking about him that we were witnessing kind of his peak of the season. And then he has gone out and kind of raised the bar. It feels like every series he plays recently, he has done something to kind of elevate his ceiling this season. It it really has been remarkable what he's been able to do offensively.
2: You know, and we did. We talked about it the last time. This is JP's skill set, and we're seeing it really evolve in such a quick way. And he's doing things not just defensively, which we've seen Mm -hmm. roughly since he put on a Mariners uniform not offensively, which is we've seen more sporadically, but now we're seeing very consistently, you know, we're also seeing some of the difference that he can make as a base runner. And we're seeing the difference that he makes in his level of energy, the the leadership that he's showing on the field and off is, has been, you know, really fun to see, uh, combine all those elements together. And, and you have a really rare thing, which is, you know, uh, an elite level defender who is has evolved into a very strong offensive player and and doing it in your mid-20s when you still have the, the bulk of your prime years in front of you is, is a pretty exciting thing
1: one thing that we have kind of been taken with recently especially on the last homestand is for whatever reason the performance this year for chris flexen has like kind of been under the radar. I mean, he had one clunker in San Diego, and if you remove that from his game log this year, his earned average is a kind of around a three and a half, give or take. Uh, we saw him throw two gems on the recent homestand. He's hitting 95 with the fastball. We know he's got the four pitches. Uh, when you acquired him, when you signed him this offseason, nobody had <laughs> heard of Chris Flexen, and Man, he is doing really great things. It's been pretty remarkable how much he has done in such a short period of time for the Mariners this year.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, and I generally tend to fall on the excitable side, you know, I'm <laughs> a, and I'm, I'm positive generally about our players and, and what they can or do. Uh, and and in the case of Chris Flexen when we were putting together our scouting dossier on Flex and it was all done via video, uh, we hadn't, we didn't have any live information to look at that was within a year of, of the, the time that we were reviewing him. And his major league experience or exposure was fewer than 100 days of major league service. And there wasn't a lot of performance to look at. But we said then, and we'll say now, the physical stuff is going to surprise you. It's for what we think are four average to above average pitches. He has good location scores. So he's, a, he's precise in how he locates. He can use multiple pitches to the different quadrants of the strike zone. And what we've been really impressed by is, you know, Flex is resilient. He, you know, after the rough start in San Diego, he bounced back and he's turned in his best stretch since joining the Mariners. And we thought then, and we are really more convicted now that we you know we found something unique in chris flex and coming back from the kbo he fits here he fits us moving forward and and what he's doing right now frankly has stabilized our starting rotation at a time when our bullpen was was really getting you know a a lot of run. flex came in and was was you know one of multiple of our starters who just you know put their finger in the water and, and and slowed it a little bit
0: He's been super fun to watch for me, and I will give him the highest compliment. He's a pitcher. It's fun to watch him mix and match, and I feel like what he's done this year has been pretty far under the radar. And he gets almost treated like, you know, he's throwing the ball up there at 86, 87 miles per hour. He's got better stuff than I think people give him credit for, too.
2: I, I, there's no question that the stuff is better than, than what he's being given credit for he's throwing in the in the low to mid 90s he's got all the weapons one of my favorite parts about what Flex does is that on any given day you don't know what his out pitch is going to be that mm-hmm. day which I think makes him very hard to game plan against if you're the opposing team you know we saw just in his his last couple of starts you know breaking out a lot of change-ups versus right-hand hitters against the Minnesota Twins because it, it it matched up against their lineup. You know, breaking out more elevated fastballs uh, and the opportunity that he got after that was terrific now we're seeing him use all of his pitches and it's there, there's some art to what flex does and you don't quite know what it's going to look like the day before you know you know when you know when when gravy comes in a game you're going to get sinkers and sliders when you know when Steck comes in a game you're going to get you know riding four seamers and, and the curveball you don't know what to expect you know with flex on a given day and i think that makes him all the
1: more effective When we watched the series, the four-game sweep against the Tampa Bay Rays, we were kind of taken by a couple of things when looking at Tampa Bay for a team that you know very well because half your players are from Tampa Bay. (laughs) At one time. At one time. That's right. Um, For as progressive and forward-thinking as the Rays are and obviously have been for quite some time, the way they're getting it done this year is pitching, specifically in the bullpen, and defense. I mean, they are, it seems like, plus everywhere on everywhere. the field. When you look at the Mariners right now, uh, we know defensively J.P. Crawford has set that tone. When Evan White is healthy, he is a second elite defender on the infield. Your outfielders can go get it. Seeger has a track record at third base. Dylan Moore, uh, Scott Service was just speaking the other day. I, mean, I firmly believe that he is one of the better defensive second basemen in the American League. So the defensive part is there. We know the focus on pitching and dominating the zone. So with all that being said, do the Mariners want to be or do you already consider yourself to be a pitching and defense team? Is that still a moniker that is uh, in vogue enough that that's where this club is striving for?
2: Sure, and you could make it simpler. We would like to be the Rays. <laughs> it's a, just honestly, they do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a wonderful piece uh, on the Athletic, and this is maybe about a week ago on the the Rays, where where they had a number of interviews with their players, front office members, uh, going through how the Rays do what they do, or, or general thoughts behind it. And there was a quote from their pitching coach, Kyle Snyder, and, and I really appreciate it. He said, and it was something along these lines and I'm paraphrasing it's really not difficult to understand we catch it and we throw strikes we give ourselves a chance we don't beat ourselves and and i've always held that as the holy grail of building a major league team you have to throw strikes and you have to catch the ball Uh, that that's where it starts and the rays right now do it better than anybody and that is what took them to a world series last year and and frankly that's what we've been striving for for a number of years now And, and i think we're closer than we've ever been
1: Yeah, certainly seems like on that path, there's no question. Speaking of the pitching side of things, you know, when we saw uh, JT Chagua in a couple of sporadic Cactus League games. Uh, Gary, I don't know. Am am I alone here? Like, when when we saw Chagua, were were we thinking, oh, yeah, this guy is going to be a major anchor of the Mariners' bullpen? Uh, Am I alone in in not thinking that that was the case when we saw him in Arizona?
0: I don't know. I thought I remembered when we talked about it that we predicted that Seawald and Chagua would take every (laughs) big inning in close ball games for an entire month stretch. I think we said that. (laughs) Yeah, and just be nails. Yeah. Like, every time.
1: Yeah, I mean every time. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty – It's pretty remarkable with those two, and you can throw a second rider in as well. And we know what the back end looks like with Graveman and Montero, but those guys getting it there have been, I mean, they've been a lot of fun to watch. And. Uh, probably not as unheralded now as they were uh, back in the Cactus League. No,
2: and, and I, for whatever it's worth, you know, Shaggy was a little dinged up in the spring, so we didn't get a chance to see all of what he was capable of in the early days of spring training. You know, Paul Seawald, I got to give a ton of credit for what he did with himself and kind of and reinventing himself a little bit post-New York Mets. You know, he's got some major league service, two years plus of major league service, and, and, and coming into spring training training and then really tip of the cap to our triple a pitching coach rob marcello who spent a good deal of time with paul and they worked on some strategic changes in what he was doing the pitches he was using where he would throw them frequency of usage uh, slider uh, throw, the, <laughs> throw the slider you know and and uh, and, and elevate the fastball in the, at the right points you know he's creates a really unique angle and and he's he's like i said he reinvented himself in a positive way so having those two guys, what Steck has done, our bullpen in general. You know, it's, I don't think there are a lot of people that are casual baseball observers that would have nailed it in the early season. Hey. As we head toward the All Star break, high or low, do you think the Mariners will be one of the five best bullpens in the big leagues? But that's what they've been. And, you know, that that group, and I've said this before about Shaggy and Seawald, you know, they, at a time when we needed it most, when we had a number of guys on the the IL or out on the COVID IL. They really saved us, and you know they've in many ways been the MVPs to, to this point in our season and helping us get here. And and that bullpen in general has been such a relief compared to you know what we've lived through the last couple of years as we tried to find the right guys. And it's uh it's been refreshed. Sometimes you get lucky, and and we got a little bit lucky.
0: You know what I love about the story of the Seawald and Chagwa and Rider is the symmetry When you hear the stories about, you know, the front office sees something, the analytics department, the staff, the players being willing to buy into it, and then you see the results on the field. I think that's such a great part of the story of their success on the field and just the symmetry of how it works between the three.
2: You throw those three guys in, and you could count others in our bullpen, but you know, it, it really is a celebration of all the things you just mentioned, Gary. It's uh, from our, our front office, from our scouting people, particularly our analysts and pitching specialists, and, and working in conjunction with our Major League Pitching coaches and Trent Blank and Pete Woodworth these guys bought into what we do and you know as as a rule the it's bullpen wide it's, it's not just shaggy and seawald and steck it's the full group down there in the bullpen celebrating the things they do well helping them improve in areas that we feel that they can and roughly allowing them to maximize their own potential they bought in and there's the, the symmetry is that it's working for everybody seemingly at the same time. And I, and, and I will say for reasons that are obvious, it's been a rough go in the first half for Rafael Montero. You know, Monty has been among the most unlucky yeah. pitchers in the league. You know, what he's done is is really stepped up when he could have easily melted after receiving as much criticism as you can Bear uh, coming out of Cleveland, and his last two or three outings have been awesome for us, especially when we needed him most in in, in extra inning affairs. And uh, it's it, the whole bullpen has been such a such a, a savior for us.
1: A Seawald, who might win the award for most normal looking big league ball player (laughs) among all active guys. Like when he got inspected by the sticky police after a recent (laughs) outing and he takes his hat off and you just, you just look at, you're like, that could be my neighbor. I mean, he's just the most, Normal-looking dude in a uniform, just striking out 40% of big that's league a, hitters that he's facing,
2: which is amazing. And and, and that's the like the transformation of, of Paul. There's and I want to give him a nickname. I just don't know what it could be. You know. So we'll you know there, we'll go with Paul for now.
1: <laughs> I think and Paul is basically sums it it's up. great. <laughs>
2: and and he's punching out 14, 15 per nine. He's doing it against the the best hitters in a lineup because we are, when we are targeting the right pockets for our pitch. Paul's been so good that we target bringing him in in these high-leverage situations, typically to face the middle of lineups. And and same thing is true of Shaggy on most nights. You know, we go through a pretty elaborate bullpen plan before each game starts, and, you know, when we get into those leverage-type moments, you know, we, we, we call it a pivot. When we are pivoting away from the starter and we're pivoting in a winning game, we're trying to match up the players who suit that portion of the lineup best and every day when we which is why you're seeing them pitch every day <laughs> we're in high leverage every day and you know Paul and Shaggy have been the the, the go-tos against the best hitters other teams can offer in those moments and, and, and they've
0: delivered talking to Paul too I really enjoyed the conversation because on the surface and we've mentioned it already you can see Well, he's throwing a slider more. But when you talk to him, you realize the depth of the conversation. It's not just throwing the slider more. It's where to throw it. It's the shape of the pitch. I mean, it is so in-depth, the conversation and the work that is going behind it. it. It is fun to see it paying off all the work that thousands of hours between not only him, but the coaching staff and the analytics department, just all paying off in this way. And it's funny you say the shape of the pitch.
2: That That's something that our pitching group, you know, obviously spends a lot of time driving is is improving pitch shapes. And, you know, we've seen improved pitch shapes with Justin Dunn and the way his slider breaks this season. We've seen uh, improved pitch shapes with both Shaggy and, and Paul with their sliders, the way the slider breaks. So it's not just – throwing it more. It's throwing it more to better locations with better shape. And and I think they're doing all three of those things. And and you could, two guys who have very effective sliders in Seawald and Shagwa, they they're very different sliders, you know. Shaggy's is a little bit harder, has got that that gyro spin and a lot of down action, where Paul's looks like it's starting behind a right-handed hitter and it's almost like that left on left sensation when you when you get Paul against a right-handed hitter, which right now is toxic for righty hitters it's a that that breaking ball starting in back of him and it's such a long break but it happens quickly that he can front hip a right-handed hitter or he can take it off the outside corner and it's been such an effective pitch it's been awesome to watch
1: we've talked about a lot of great performances so far today but we have buried what will go down as the single greatest individual performance by any member of the Mariners organization? Not not only this year, Jerry, but maybe for some time to come. Uh, Brandon Williamson, you drafted him in the second round out of TCU, big lefty, Jerry. He just threw his second, his second immaculate inning this season, and he did it in his first inning in Double A with the Arkansas Travelers. He's walked on the moon twice, Jerry. One guy has done it twice. I mean, this is – I know that I, – I don't think I'm the one beating the drum on the Immaculate Ending. I think it's America. Like, America really – is that fair, Gare? I think it's yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, baseball – Not you. No, Everybody. not me. It's not uh-huh. me. It's a, I think it's mostly just baseball Americana that is enthralled with the <laughs> Immaculate Ending, Jerry. Um, and I know as a former big league pitcher. Uh, you can speak to that as well. But uh, I don't know what the award is for Williamson. I know that Gary and I have uh, an exclusive uh, three-hour interview with him where we're going to break <laughs> down every, every pitch. And for those who don't know, uh, Immaculate Inning, uh, nine pitches, all strikes, striking out the side in order. It's very hard to do, Jerry. There have been more no-hitters in Immaculate Innings in baseball this year. The floor is yours. I have nothing else to say.
2: There are very few of us that, that can accomplish such a feat. I say that as if I've actually done it. I, I never <laughs> have. But I, I'm now having, I'm conjuring images of the Bob Gibson, Tim McCarver sitting in Studio 42, <laughs> breaking down, you know, all the pitches that's, that led to this immaculate I think, inning.
1: I think Gary and I have that feel to us right Gary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. I think it's, I think it's pre, that's a pretty spot-on assessment on yeah. your part. Good talent evaluator.
2: <laughs> we're only halfway through the season. I think there is time, in theory. To, to, oh. Why not four times in a year? But Easily. Willie, it, first of all, you know, he has come so far since the day we, we drafted him. We thought he was an undervalued player in the draft. Uh, we, we reached up in the second round to get him, which was above where maybe the industry at the time was carrying him, or at least third-party rating systems. And he's done nothing but deliver since the day we, we had him join the system. His velocity crept up from the time he was at TCU. Uh, started off at junior college in, in Iowa and then moved on to TCU. I think his fastball went from 86, 88 as a JUCO player to something around you know high 80s, low 90s at TCU. Now it's it's low to mid 90s. He'll top out at 96 on a given day. He might hit a little higher than that. And we think it's a devastating curveball. You know, we think it's one of the best left-hand curveballs among all minor league pitchers. And and he's got four pitches. The changeup continues to develop. And what we're seeing with Brandon that excites us most is the way he's attacking the strike zone. And he took it to an extreme. You know, we told him, your path to the big league is going to be defined by how you dominate the zone. So he just went out and started throwing all the pitches in the zone, and, and it, it has resulted in a couple of, uh, of immaculate innings. He's, he's uh, we think, a really good prospect who has every chance of, uh, as you can see by his, his movement this year, uh, being a quick-to-the-big-leagues guy as a four-pitch starter who throws strikes and, and creates good angle. angles. Uh, Willie's six, six throws downhill, and it's real stuff.
1: How has... The pitching as a whole in the minors right now, how has it progressed from uh, opening day in minor league baseball to now, given everything that minor league baseball has gone through dating back to not having a season last year?
2: You know, this last month, especially for us, you know, three week stretch that we're in from the start of our minor league season, we 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 saw really gaudy stuff with our with our pitchers. And and that was up and down the system. Guys that we hadn't seen other than maybe in the fall of 2020 down in Peoria for a smattering of innings, Levi Stout and Matt Brash, who we picked up from the Padres, you know, last trade deadline, Uh, Adam Mako, Taylor Dollard, guys that that have really popped up and showed physical stuff. And here over this last month, Brandon Williamson, uh, among them, but here over this last month, we have seen those guys take that gaudy stuff and combine it with what I think is above-average command of the strike zone and you know even the guys that were recognized as being among our top pitching prospects guys like logan and george kirby and emerson hancock you know they're they're doing things now with the physical stuff we knew they had they're starting to command the ball in in the the way major league pitchers do and the good ones do and and i i it portends good things and i think you're going to see a fair bit of movement with pitchers in our system in this second half because we're going to challenge them at the next level once they Clear the hurdle of commanding the, the stuff because it's it's real stuff. They're good.
1: I I think developmentally, if you throw an immaculate inning, you should automatically get promoted. <laughs> Perhaps just I, send him to the big leagues. I mean, yeah. he should have been pulled after the first inning. And I mean, just just pack your bags. You're going up. You can take that back to the guys and back in the shop and run that past them. I think McKay would love that.
2: The immaculate inning. It's uh, a
1: and he's a big immaculate inning guy. Look is, at him. Look I'm sure at
2: him. he's texting you every time yeah. he sees it. There oh, hey, we go. go. All right. he, he texted me last night, you know, and he was in. He's in Albuquerque with our AAA team, watching yeah. another game, and,
1: <laughs> and he and he's and still was
2: And he texted me. He said, "You know, Brandon Williamson, first inning in Double A, immaculate inning." You know, and, and it's he gets it. My response was a, a fun emoji that, that it's all happening.
0: <laughs> part of that too is when you do get promoted to Seattle, Aaron will pick you up at the airport. Yes,
1: I will. So that's, that's absolutely true. It. I will. Yeah. There's no yeah. doubt. Lunch, dinner on me. (laughs) With ice cream? You're subjected to me, you know, an inquisition about the inning. But people love that.
2: Walk me through it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Since you brought up Albuquerque, Jared Kelnick hitting like five. Now, it's it's Albuquerque, right? So there's like a curve there because the ball flies. But still, those would have gone out anywhere. Anywhere. Bombs. Yeah, massive tanks. It seems like he is uh, in a pretty good spot right now.
2: He is, you know, and and we mentioned it after we had sent Jared out. And I think mentally he's in a good place. He's he's starting to take his walks again, which, you know, started to drift away from him toward the tail end of his, his month in the big leagues. And since the time we sent him back, the quality of his contact has been irrefutable. He's hitting the ball hard. Similar to what we experienced during his time in the big leagues, he wasn't really hitting the ball in much luck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess he took it upon himself this last week or so to just start hitting it over the fence to avoid the nuance of luck in, in the result. And it's been, it's been notable for him. And uh, hopefully this gets him on a, on a good extended run, and we'll see him back here in the big leagues before long.
1: All right, Jerry, we've got a great Stump JD for you. There's, this is fairly niche. Uh, it is topical, which we try to do whenever we can. The College World Series is going on. This is a College World Series, Big League World Series Stump JD. Jerry, if you can believe it, there is one player, and one p- player only, who has won back to back College World Series championships and later in life won back to back. Big League World Series. Wow! How about that, huh?
0: that? That's that's doing something. I just figured it out. Did you really? Yeah, I did. I got it. I asked
1: Gary like five days ago. Yeah, and I just figured it out. Yeah,
0: it took me a long time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. One guy. Now I have layers of hints that I can give you, if you need, if you're you know gasping for air. But I I also just kind of want to throw it out to you and see if you can just hit right off the tee to begin with. Back to
2: back. College World Series yep. championships, back to back major league world series titles.
1: Yeah. It's great it's a great it's a great question.
2: It is a great question. Only once it's ever been yeah, done. Yeah, one time. Did this player play at USC?
1: No. No. Wow. See, I wanna give I wanna say something to follow that up, but I I won't right now. I won't.
2: Now you're holding back.
1: I am. I, mean, yes, I, I, asked, I try to never hold back, Jerry, but sometimes I have to. He did not play at USC. Did not play at USC. You have the right conference.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: I know. I know. Don't say I'm not a giving guy.
2: So it's an Oregon State beaver. It's not. Duh. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm embarrassed, but I don't uh, know.
1: This shouldn't be the one that embarrasses you. Is it Reggie Jackson? No. All right.
2: I got nothing for you.
1: Gary, you want to you give it a shot? Is it Ed Sprague? Hello, Ed Sprague! Yes!
2: Get in, I played against Ed. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I did not know
1: that. Uh. All right, so he won back-to-back at Stanford. Stanford. Yep. And then he won back-to-back with, with the Blue, Blue Jays. Jays. I should have known. I should have known. And, and Eighty-seven, eighty-eight, ninety-two, ninety-three. 87-88, 92-93. That's how quick it happens. I mean... And then roughly by
2: 95, he was yesterday's news. That's uh, the thing, right?
1: I mean, he was out of the game in his early 30s. I know. Gary, who did he Uh, retire with? The Seattle Mariners. His final year was 01. He played in fewer than 50 games with the M's. That's amazing. I
2: I didn't have that. I played against that. We were roughly, you know, we came through similar time. uh, And... You know, I, I want to say, and his he had a hundred RBI season, and maybe his second full year in the big leagues with the Blue Jays. And that uh, during one of their
1: uh, in yeah that run, 96, I mean, he drove in 101 uh, with 36 bombs. So it was a little later than his than no, but second still, year.
2: but still, but yeah, still, had a big year. You know, it's a and was a, a a big prospect coming out of college. That's that's amazing. I didn't have that. Now tell me that he played in a little league World Series and won back to back. Now we've got something. Now,
1: yeah. yeah, now it's on top of the world. All star in '99. Yeah, and then 45 games with the Marineros in 01, and then crazy. I know, crazy.
2: Where do you come up with these? I just was really, you
1: know, there's Gary and I spend uh, some time. Hours, which before is the just, show. just to say hours. Because <laughs> like, yeah. it's great, because to let people behind the curtain uh, who care, which is very few. <laughs> if you don't care, you're not listening anymore, because we're deep enough into this thing. Uh, so if you're with us still, you do care. Sometimes Gary and I just kind of run into things, right, over the course of a week or two of broadcasting baseball, right? We just find things, and we're like, oh, that'd be a great Stump J.D. And then other times we're looking at each other and we're saying, Jerry's going to be here in five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We need something. something." And, you know, sometimes you just find stuff. So I can't tell you any. It's kind of like you and – what is it trident is that the internal thing yeah yeah i mean like when you give me the password to trident and a username you know and gary also of course then we'll start giving you the recipes for stump jd wow i think
2: that's a, like a good, actually, that's a great
1: trade right yeah
2: that's, a, that's not a trade i'm willing to make <laughs> which is the first time those words have ever come out of my mouth. that's a very <laughs> good point
1: can i put on my uh, best eric neander like whatever he wears i'll trade for you sure <laughs> All right, uh, that was a very good one. I don't know if we're ever going to get better than that. Um, I do feel good when we have a actual question that isn't ridiculous that Jerry can't get. Right, Gary? Yeah. Normally the ones he can't get... By the way, the other one I was toying with, going on the Immaculate Inning theme, oh. was uh, who threw the first... Extra inning, immaculate inning. <laughs> oh, my God. But, see, we agree that, you, 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 like, nobody knows that. Like, I actually
0: guy, had to talk you out of that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a hunch that it would be a bad one. Yeah. Uh, it was, like, in 1923 for the White
2: see, Sox. See, someone in the world that's not related to Ed Sprague knew the answer to this
1: question.
0: Right. They, it, no it, one knows the answer knows, to the Nobody question. knows it. Yeah, yeah,
1: nobody knows it. In fact, I don't even believe it because who was doing pitch tracking in 1923?
0: Well, you got to give us the name now. What, what was his
1: name? Soggy? <laughs> Sh- uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Sloppy? Yes, it was Sloppy Thurston. Sloppy Thurston. Yes. Oh my God, Jerry got it. He got it. He got it. Oh my God, he got it. He got Sloppy. (laughs) Now,
2: I should have given you Sloppy. He's the only big leaguer ever named Sloppy.
1: (laughs) Which apparently, they named him, his nickname was Sloppy because he actually was such a fine dresser.
2: Sloppy Thurston. It's a, it's, I, so Dave Garcia who Dave Garcia spent years and years in baseball as a, as a coach, a manager, an advisor, uh, as a generally great guy managed, you know, in the mid seventies and then was, was still an advisor and part-time coach. Uh, when I started in my, ended my playing career and started my front office career. And we had a, uh, you know, I, I've told you about my collection of, of sure. memorabilia. Our basement was roughly, you know, hall of fame West. And we had, we had bookshelves where, where one of my, endeavors was to you know acquire some type of autograph from any every player that ever played um and they were they were ordered you know uh they were ordered alphabetically so my, my oldest daughter now she's uh she's 28 and she was she was small at the time dave garcia would come over because he didn't travel with the team and i was i was on the the injured list uh with my neck and Uh, He would come over and sit in the basement and my daughter would bring him a book and he would just sit in a chair and peel through the book and it was the coolest thing you ever saw because this is someone whose career spanned from the 1940s through at the time this was in 2000. So, uh, and knew everybody and everything. And, and I bring this up on Sloppy Thurston because he's peeling through the T's one day. And, you know, my little daughter's sitting on the, on the floor playing with some of the other albums. And I'm sitting uh, in the, the chair across from Dave and we're talking about the, the guys he's running across. And he came across Sloppy Thurston.
1: You had a sloppy Thurston yes, I did. autograph. Yes,
2: I did. And and wow. Dave, when Dave saw sloppy Thurston's, you know, page, you know, he immediately started to tear up, and he said, "Sloppy Thurston, let me tell you about Sloppy Thurston," and you know, this uh, is the maybe the coolest thing about those moments is I w- whether it's it's him. We've talked about Buck O'Neill in the in that moment. You know, when when you have. Longtime baseball people or legends sitting in your house, and they they just on a riff start telling you great stories about players that were mostly anonymous after their their careers ended, and you see the emotions start to well up. It's to me, that's what's awesome about baseball is just the, the way it's there's kind of a through line that that connects the 40s to the 2000s in a way that no other sport can. I was, and, I, and I'll never forget that moment. And my daughter still knows the name Sloppy Thurston because of that moment. <laughs> How did
1: you get a Sloppy Thurston
2: autograph? Uh, there's, don't I mean, ask. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> is like... So I, I, I did. And... 1999 uh, the sporting news you know when We'll use Topps Baseball as, you know, the baseball card company as an example. You know, when we would sign our our first professional contracts, you go to your first spring training and Topps has you sign a contract, you know, for a $5 fee, you know, and now you're giving them the right to produce a baseball card with with your picture on it, you know. And, And no joke, I still have my Topps check for $5 that they gave me when I signed. And, you know, and this is like famously, Ted Williams wouldn't sign their contract. So there's there there is no topp's baseball card of Ted Williams from the time they started printing their first set of cards uh, until nineteen fifty six or seven, because that's when he finally gave them the, the okay. And, you know, so in there, there was no Ted Williams. It was He was, you have your Mickey Mantle, your Willie Mays, but you weren't going to get your Ted Williams unless you went to Bowman because he did sign with them. And, and uh, you know, long story short, well, tops like that before them, the sporting news used to have all you know, all the players sign a waiver allowing them to use their name and likeness in stories that were written in the sporting news. So, you know, around this time in St. Louis, they started purging the the sporting news, uh, you know, their their archives. And you know, by year, they would just sell off the the documents that all these players signed. So I bought them, you know, and and I bought them year by year. And I, you know, I had my sloppy Thurston, and I like, and there was some unbelievably rare signatures in there like Pickles Dillhofer. Oh,
1: Pickles. Who <laughs> do I mean?
2: I mean, go, lo- look at Pickles Dillhofer. You know, he appeared in a big league game. It was It's one of the most, the rarest of baseball autographs. He died, I believe, in a car wreck, you know, uh, sh- not long after his, his first big league appearance and you know to get these in bulk and you could buy like you i i I won bids buying them like that and it was just the coolest
1: thing so you get guys like sloppy Thurston. so were you an active big leaguer when you were buying these i mean gary can you imagine how goofy that is yes Yes. i mean that is the perfect word like that's me yeah gary can you imagine an active big leaguer it's hector santiago it bingo okay it is but Jerry is more of a degenerate than Hector. <laughs> He's like, that is true. Because yeah. Hector's going after the big time guys. Yeah. Whereas Jerry's that's like, a good oh, point. He was in the show for four days. Yeah. How much do you want yep. for it? Give them to me. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. That is that's very cool. Like if Gar- if Gary and I found out about you the player in modern day time, oh I mean, we would be hounding you for the longest interview possible because there is no one like that nor will there probably ever be again.
2: And, and, and I don't know there there was at the time, which is why sure. people would take the time to come in and see it and sit. And You know, it got to the point where, you know, guys from other teams would come and, and jokingly I would tell them, yeah, oh yeah, you're welcome to come over, but you got to bring something. And they would bring something and drop it off. And then it became like a bastion of, you know, game used equipment for players from all over the, the league. And I, you know, my favorite was Ricky Henderson brought, one spike, one shoe.
0: What?
2: <laughs> Where's the other one? <laughs> but it's a, you know, it was uh, d- like the, that. was the, the donation. Ricky, was, Ricky, like, don't one, need two shoes. One spike. <laughs> one spike. And and some of the things that, that guys, you know, left behind or, or dropped off or gave somebody to give me were just really cool. And I, I, I it's 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 uh, something about. My playing career that I'll never forget was the guys coming through and especially the the older baseball players or people from, you know, from generations prior to mine. You know, that was such a a cool honor to have them all sitting at the house and telling you the stories.
1: Sloppy Thurston. That's awesome. We will uh, wrap up with our listener question, which uh, this is interesting. This is a topic that I don't think has been discussed much. Uh, Ryan Turner checks in on Twitter. And he's curious, with the minor league shakeup, right? We know the affiliates are different now, fewer teams and all. How will rosters be altered with the new draft picks coming into the organization? Will they spend the summer at the spring training site? Will they be sent to a particular location? Subsequent moves that will be made uh, throughout the organizational tree. Obviously, the draft this year also is later in the year. So this isn't the same thing as, hey, if you're drafted out of college, you're going to Everett like you were in uh, yesteryear. So how how is that going to work now?
2: That's a terrific question. And one that we're still trying to figure out we talk about it every day you know this year the draft will be 20 rounds certainly like most other years we're going to look to sign players after the draft to, to help augment our system you know with the new situation the, the new setup between major league and minor league baseball you know you have a cap on the number of players total in your organization so you have a, a, a 20 six or 28 man roster at each of the four full season affiliates the size of your roster in the Dominican Republic has not changed you still have 36 players there so in Peoria at your your complex league affiliate the, the roster limit is non-existent you can go through the roof provided you don't exceed the total number of players in a system so if you have a 175 player limit system wide mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you can do the math it leaves you a pretty pretty liberal, you know, amount to work with in roster spots in in Arizona, you know, and that's the only real rule that you have to abide by. We're likely to see the high school players who sign will either stay in the complex league or we'll sign them to 2022 contracts and, and just send them off for, you know, high performance camp and mental skills training because we don't want them to Add on or play at that moment in time. Some of the pitchers that you used to see throw one and two inning outings, you know, in Everett because you were trying to limit the innings exposure after a long college season, you know, those guys now it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to send them off to full season affiliates because you're taking up a roster spot on a limited roster. So those players are likely to stay in, in the complex league as well. The hotspot is going to be the advanced college players who have the opportunity to, you know, they sign, they can go out and really augment the the Everett or Modesto clubs. We'll do that. But for every move that we make like that, one player from from our A-level has to go to double A or higher. You know, one player from our, our A-level has to go to complex league or lower to make space. And it's likely to cost some veteran players jobs at the higher levels because you're you're moving players in but the way things have gone for us and for most teams in the industry this year we've been ravaged by injury at the minor league levels as an in as an industry so the ability to move players up through the chain uh is 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 probably as necessary as anything because there's a lot of players on il's and and this couldn't come at a better time so it's probably going to cost a couple of, of of older players at the higher levels a job as we start to to matriculate players from the bottom up. But most of the players from this draft are very likely to wind up in the complex league.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's that's a great question, Ryan. Uh, Ryan Turner uh, at turns 44 chiming in to the show today. Uh, Jerry, uh, man, this has been fun. I think you got two stump JDs. I think you. I think Gary. What do you think? I think he went. I think he kind of went. I mean, he missed the first one, I guess. Yeah, I, I got the first.
0: first one, though, so. Yeah, combined.
1: You know, yeah. We, but the fact that you nailed Sloppy Thurston without it. That's actually, amazing.
2: And now you will, not re- ever will forget never sloppy forget Thurston Sloppy Thurston <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Nor will anyone else listening. Jerry, it's great seeing you, man. Thanks so much for hanging out, as always. Always love it.